Greetings in Jesus' name this morning. It is wonderful to see the church nearly filled to capacity. I want to say thanks for your prayers and encouragement. Um, a couple of you have mentioned that, and it is um, wonderful and strengthening. Turn today to Genesis chapter 1. few introductory thoughts to the message. Some of you would remember when Nelson Showalter was here months ago talking about types and shadows, and right at the end of his message, he mentioned this one specific thing that he said he thinks he hasn't seen anybody write extensively about, or it might have been kind of his own thing that the Lord showed him, was the, um, the thing of the third day. And you're thinking about the New Testament, third day, and how important that is. But then he tied that back to Genesis, that on the third day. So we're going to start there. I had made just a few exploratory notes and then kind of filed that thing. And then just in the last week or two, I picked it up and um, was blessed. I will say this, too. I'm wondering in your mind, what is the difference between a Bible study and a sermon? Because this feels more like a Bible study to me than a sermon. And I'm, as working through that, to me, a Bible study versus a sermon, a sermon should have a strong takeaway, uh, uh, impetus to do and change and grow. I'm, that's why this feels more like a Bible study. I'll try to wrap it up at the end, but I want you to be listening to the Holy Spirit for that takeaway for you, because I'm not sure it's as strong. That's why it feels more like a Bible study than a, than a, a sermon or a message. It is a message, but still. The other thing is I want to guard against... Uh, trying to force something into a mold that it's not. And maybe with types and shadows, you sort of, well, that seems like somebody really rested it around to make it fit, and I don't want to do that this morning. It is amazing, though, that when you start thinking about the third day or threes or thirties, if you want to explore that far or 60s or 90s or half of threes or whatever, the Bible is just full of them, and then they start jumping out at you everywhere. And this is an example. This morning, the offering was $333 for a project, and last Sunday, it was reported they had 330000 in hand. Well, does that mean anything? Probably not. <laughs> but it's three is kind of one of those low numbers that comes up in lots of ways, and I think actually our psych is kind of geared toward evens or odds, and I'm, I will use the board just a little this morning. Um, in a way, three is the first odd number. I know one really is, but one stands alone and is uh, symmetric, and so is, and, and two is even, but three, and there are just loads of threes, and especially third days, but I want to, we'll try to focus this in on the third day. And what does the third day represent? Well, generally, it is a turning point. It does not always indicate a turning point. And if I miss something that you think is important, I apologize. If I say something and you think, immediately think of an exception, I apologize for that too. But in generalities, um, the study showed that it seemed the third day is generally a turning point. And so when you're reading the Bible and you come across the third day, you can start thinking, well, what changed or what happened? 
in Genesis, where you are, um, you have the creation happening and God creating light, which, as you think about it, man also is able to create light. Um, In our day, LEDs have become a thing. Man has been able to create light uh, in a way of speaking. And then you have the um, creation of matter, the world being organized, and in a way, man can organize, separate, not, not in the way God did, the, the earth from the firmament, the water below from the water above, but still, man can take things, cold, hard atoms and molecules, what God has already created, and make things out of them, but day three is very significant, and J.P. pointed this out, I'm building on, not J.P., Brother Nelson Showalter, that there's life, and that's one thing that uh, came up in our Sunday school class, maybe in the devotional, which I enjoyed so much. Uh, life is the first time life appears outside of God himself in the creation is day three. It's a significant turning point from cold, hard elements and division and organization to something that reproduces, something that grows, something that is alive. Uh, and so in nine... Genesis 1.9, I'll just read that. The Lord said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. Let the dry land appear. 10, And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together he called seas. He saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed. That's a tie into faith. The fruit tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself. And the earth brought forth grass, and the herb trees with seeds and God saw it was good and that was the third day so it was the first sign of life I just kind of skimmed through those verses this morning I have many references I'll I'll try to narrow it down and ask you to turn to just a handful a few okay so as we think of threes and turning points let's just now explore in our minds a little bit Abraham Many threes in his life, but let's just pick out this one. This is in, if you're taking notes, 22-3, when he was, it was already mentioned uh, here, about sacrificing his son. No, it was in men's Sunday school class. It seems um, really a significant point of Abraham's life in his commitment to his God, or or was he going to let things of this earth stand in the way of that? Well, it just mentions there in 22.4 that on the third day of their trip, he lifted up his eyes and saw the place. And you might say, well, what's so significant about the place? Why is that a turning point? Well, it becomes apparent because remember, when God stopped the sacrifice, there was a ram called in the thicket, and that was a very specific ram on a specific mountain at a specific time. And so that place was really important. And the third day, he saw that place. He, he saw the mountain. And Abraham, numerous times in his life, takes off on journeys. He does not know where the end is. We cannot fathom that. We would not think that rational, but he did. And on this trip for this sacrifice, it seems that he... He went, he was going to this place, but on the third day, he saw the place. And of course, we know later, like Abraham had three visitors on an occasion and so on. Let's move to Moses. Let's turn to this one. This is in Exodus 2. We'll just take a flying trip through the book of Exodus here. Um, The significance of the third day, I don't know. Some of these, maybe it's just 
because I noticed it. On the other hand, it seems like in the Bible, names and numbers are very significant, more so than we think of them. You know, if we call someone a name or we think in terms of numbers, it seems they were more significant in the Bible. And so I'm just going to mention in Exodus 2, verse 2, in relation to Moses, um, he was hidden three months. And then a strong turning point. Uh, They couldn't hide him anymore. He became large enough, loud enough. Um, It became known in some way that at the three-month, not the third day, but the three-month period, um, that he had to be put into the river. But he was put into a special. He was put into the river in a special way that Pharaoh did not envision. He was put in that little ark. And then if you think about um, him leading the children of Israel out, this is in Exodus 5, verse 3. They were specifically asking Pharaoh to leave for three days' journey. They wanted to make a three-day journey to make sacrifice. And in Exodus 10, 22, one of the plagues, one of the ten plagues, was that there would be three days of darkness. And so there was a strong turning point at the end of that darkness, or a turning point anyway, but three days of darkness. And then in Exodus 15, 22, um, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. So there's three Three days of travel without water. Now, I think our boys experienced this just a little bit when they were on the Shadow Mountain and they found out how important water is for travel. Um, well, in 1523, um, the water they found was Mara, bitter. And in 1525, the waters were made sweet. And so there's a tie back to life-giving water on the third day. So three days of travel with bitterness and then water and then so on. Okay, let's go to Exodus 19.1. I did not know this, but the law. So you have a group, a huge group of slaves coming out of Egypt, unorganized, except that Moses was asked to be their leader. And this people, this group needed organization. They needed a, uh, they needed a structure, a framework. Uh, there's a better word, but I'm not getting it. And so the Ten Commandments, God's first law, if you will, not counting what Abraham and others knew, came in the third month. That's Exodus 19.1. And if you go to 19.11, the third day of the third month. And so God came down to Mount Sinai. That's Exodus 19.16. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning, thunderings and lightnings and thick cloud on the mountain, There was smoke, verse 18 and 19. And when the blast of the trumpet, God's trumpet, sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And so the law was given, the Ten Commandments at least, third month, third day, counted, I think, after the Passover. And so the Jewish calendar, I think, was established there with the Passover as the beginning of time. And then, if you will, three months, three days later, the giving of the law.
And then I'm just going to breeze over uh, some of these. Um, there were three feasts in that law that the people, the men were to appear at Jerusalem. And um, at Moses' death, there was weeping, or there were, yeah, mourning for 30 days, and I think also for Aaron after his death. Let's take a large jump forward, and you don't even have to turn to these. Think about David a little bit. And uh, there was a strong turning point there. David and Jonathan were close friends, but there was this growing enmity between Saul against David. And the turning point is when Jonathan shoots those arrows. I think it was... I'm not sure about the number. I'm not going to force that into a mold. I thought it was three for some reason. But it was the third day. It just says there in 1 Samuel 20, verse 5, that it was the third day at evening, and he shot those arrows, and David fled. And that was the beginning of David's exile for many years away from Saul. And you remember, too, in 1 Chronicles 21, 12, after David's failure, he had three choices of three things. Uh, Three years of famine, God said, three months of defeat, or three days of the sword of the Lord. And I'm skipping uh, many threes that happened in between there, but just trying to hit some of the high points. And so that was a turning point for David. That was his repentance and the beginning of his restoration. That was his punishment, three of three. Um, Balaam, just a note of interest, struck his ride three times and I think um, there's some significance there let's go to Gideon in Judges 6 verse 20 there are two judges that three seem to be more significant than others I don't know why um, Gideon is one of those Judges 6 20 the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And so you'll notice that there were three things. If you also think about it, there are three signs. Um, first, the sacrifice was burned. The flame flared up out of the rock, burned the sacrifice. And then he wanted a wet fleece. And then he wanted a dry fleece. And so there were three signs, three sacrifices. And if you go to Judges 7, verse 16, his pitiful army was narrowed down to a small band of 300 men, which he divided into three companies, and he gave them three weapons. Trumpet, pitcher, and a torch. And God wrought the victory through those few three companies with three weapons. Let's go to Judges 14. We're now going to Samson. Three seem to pop up more so in his life than others. Uh, did I mention that for Gideon, that was a great turning point. That was a victory. They were became 
uh, free from the hand of the Midianites. That was the beginning of their victory, or a large, very large victory after these three. So in Samson, um, Judges 14, 14, um, he gave them the riddle, and for three days they couldn't explain it. And then, after tricking his wife or playing on emotions, um, became known in Judges 15.4. Um, he became a great trapper and caught 300 foxes. Later in Judges 15.11, 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this you have done to us? And he said, as, you, as they did to me, so I have done to them. And in Judges 16, 15, his wife said, trying to find out the reason of his strength, how can you say, I love you, three words, when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And so at the end of that three, Samson lost his strength. That's the turning point. He was a very strong man, but not so godly. But he lost his strength after that three. And then the last three there is Judges 16:27. At Samson's death, the temple was full of men and women. The lords of the Philistines were about 3,000 men and women. And so at Samson's death, the death of also 3,000, about 3,000 and so a turning point. Um, Samson's life ended not so well. I'll just mention Jeroboam. Remember Jeroboam consulted the old men who advised him to rule well but gently and the young men who advised him to rule harshly. My finger will be thicker than my father's waist. And on the third day, he said, come back to me the third day. And he made that announcement. This is how I'm going to treat you. Roughly, you'll serve me. And that turning point was the beginning, as I understand it, of the divided um, tribes. Every man to his tent. Judah stayed with him. The rest of Israel not. Judah and one other tribe. Might mention Hezekiah. Remember Hezekiah was sick. If you read through Kings, it's... Hard to understand that some very bad kings served a long time. Some good kings didn't. Hezekiah generally was a very good king, but he was sick. The prophet told him, on the third day, you will go up to the house of God. And he wondered about the sign for that. It was for the shadow to go backward or forward ten. But on the third day, it seems he did a turning point in his life. Unfortunately, that extra, was he granted 15 years, did not end so well. At the end of that, he actually was probably in a little worse shape than he was at this point. You can read about it. Um, I might mention Jonah. Let's turn to Jonah 1.17. There are several threes in Jonah. I'll just mention the one that you all know about. Uh, maybe you don't even need to turn there. He was in the belly of the fish, Three days and three nights. And I just remind you that that was very hopeless. Like if you were in the stomach of a fish, why would you expect to live past that? What reason would you have to think that maybe something would happen that you would survive? Well, I don't think there's any reason. 
Jonah did pray. God did rescue him and gave him a... And I don't know. There's just a lot of things in Jonah. It takes three days to travel through or around Nineveh and so on. Um, and so on. Let's go to Esther 4. I'll mention these quickly as well. So the Jews were scheduled for destruction. And it would have happened except for God's and Esther's and Mordecai's intervention. And there was a three-day fast in Esther 4.16. And I want to tell you that three-day fasts are not unusual in the Bible. You'll find numerous of those. Um, And so 4.16 was the commandment or the request for the fast. Esther 5.1, on the third day, she went in, and there's there's a turning point. They are given the liberty to defend themselves. And in Esther 8, 9, in the third month, on the 23rd day, um, there was a commandment sent out to the Jews. Okay, we'll probably stop with that much in the Old Testament. Um, I should have maybe mentioned Daniel. Yeah, we should mention that. Brother Ken mentioned this at the men's inspirational meeting. When we think of Daniel, what immediately comes to your mind, morning, noon, and night, he prayed to his God. He was steadfast in that. As faithfully as he ate, probably more faithful even, he brought his request. Remember that Daniel was one of three governors. Remember there were three men cast into the burning fiery furnace. But remember most of all that Daniel in his prayer was three times a day. And that can be a turning point. Um, It was for him. Now just going from your memory just a little bit. As... I recently have become more interested in structures. I've always been because of Highland Welding, and I like to build things and improve things. But think about the Bible and structures. Just a little field trip in your mind now. There are three very important structures in the Old Testament, and I think you could probably name them. Noah's Ark was a structure which preserved life. And it's interesting that the Ark was 300 cubits long, 50 wide and 30 tall. So 30, 50, 300. Okay, the second one that I think of strongly in the Old Testament is the tabernacle. At God's command, they made the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. There's not a strong connection there to three, except that the curtains were 30 cubits in one direction. And there are many measurements given in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, numbers, yeah, numbers. Um, There are many numbers given there. I was fascinated with the ark, the little ark of the testimony, not Noah's ark, but Moses' ark. It was one and a half by one and a half by two and a half. So what do you make out of that? I'm not sure. Half of three, half of three. That seems like kind of a force. Third important structure was the temple, which God commanded Solomon wanted to build it. David wanted to build it. Solomon built it, but at God's design. And it's interesting that the size of that was 60 cubits long, 20 wide, and 30 tall. Exactly the same as the ark. 
Let's think about, we're jumping to the New Testament now, switching gears just a little bit. So in Jesus' life, there are some significant threes. Let's go to Luke 2.46. Did you know? Remember, let's, let's start with that. Remember that Jesus was 12 and stayed behind at Jerusalem, and they searched for him three days. Okay? And the turning point is they found him serving his father three days after starting their search. And remember, too, in Luke 2.52, that Jesus increased in what things? Wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and man. And did you know that Luke 3.23, I think we knew this, that Jesus was 30 at the beginning of his ministry? And do you know the other two people who are listed in the Bible as beginning their work at 30? There are some 40s. There are some odds. There are some much olders. But Joseph, Genesis 41-46, was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh. And David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. Also wanted to mention, did you know, that <laughs> Jesus' first miracle was on, of all things, the third day. You can read about it in John 2, verse 1. On the third day. And I tried to figure out, on the third day after what? And I'm not sure, except maybe the third day of the week. There was a wedding, and his mother, brothers, and disciples were there. What's the turning point there? Well, it was how ordinary of a boy, teenager, man was he to that point? Well, he had started calling disciples. He had started his ministry at some level, but divinity and power over nature and laws of nature was first demonstrated on the third day. I'm not sure why. I'm reminding you that Peter, this is in Matthew 26, 34, denied Jesus three times. I think this was in Brother John's Bible study from the book of Mark. So we have that three, that thrice, three denials. And we might have touched two, so that was a strong turning point. Jesus and Peter were close friends, and that, that those three denials, there was a strong turn to the left on Peter's part, away from his Lord. And then there's another three in John 21, 17. Jesus met Peter and said, do you love me? And the answer was, feed my sheep. Three words, three times. Another strong turning point. Now Peter is reinstated, and he and Jesus are again on the same page, and he becomes a powerful leader. And another turning point in the New Testament I'll just refer to is the Gentiles coming in. Uh, I don't know, there was a sheet with four corners, but it's interesting that it came down three times, and three men sought Peter. And that was a strong turning point in that the gospel wasn't just to the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. I'll mention yet Jesus' um, crucifixion and resurrection. Um, you might remember that there was darkness 
from the sixth hour until the ninth hour. Um, you remember that there were three crosses, and I think you've probably seen this before. One cross. I leave a space. Three nails equals four given. And if you want to fill in this little space, you just put two pieces pieces of wood. I think a cross is normally made of two pieces of wood. So one cross, three nails. So there were probably three nails. There were definitely three crosses. Wasn't the sign written in three languages? And wasn't that a strong turning point for the whole Bible? Jesus' crucifixion. And then we have in Matthew 27, 63, the best third day of all predicted, um, but by an unusual source, well, it's kind of remembered is how it would have, it turns out there in Matthew 27. Um, they said, sir, we remember while he was still alive how this deceiver said, after three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Well, it seems like when you read the account of Mary and Peter and John, Mary said they have stolen my Lord away. They took his body. I don't know where. Um, it seems like maybe the doubters had a stronger faith than the believers. Can that be possible? And yet they remembered that the third day was going to be a significant day, and so they set their watch. You can read all about it. We sometimes struggle between Good Friday and Sunday, and we say, well, how can you get three days out of that? I'm not exactly sure I can put that into this message exactly or even explain it perfectly. Brother Eldwin Campbell, years ago, brought a message in which he did explain that, and it made perfect sense at the time, but it's lost to memory. And I asked him about it, and he said he didn't remember either exactly how that worked out. Um. Concerning this thing on the third day, Acts 10, so we assume Luke wrote Acts, and he says, Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 4, Paul writing says he was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scripture. So that's really the best third day that I can present is the, again, life, new life, abundant life, Christian life, victory, and so on. I should mention here just a few more things. Judas, in his betrayal, that was the um, 30 pieces of silver. And if you look back into the law, that was the price of a slave. If a bull would gore to death a male or female slave, the price, the value was 30 pieces of silver. And so I don't know if that clicked for Judas or not. That was the value that our Lord was sold for. And I thought about this little poem, maybe I've mentioned it here before, Betrayal by Hester Chalmondeley. And I apologize, I could write it better than say it. He Just this little thing, still as of old, men by themselves are priced. For 30 pieces, Judas sold himself, not Christ. Remember that Paul, struck down on the road, was without sight three days? 
neither ate or drank. There's a three-day fast. And then his Ananias says, Brother Saul. And there are other threes in Paul's life. Think about the Good Samaritan. How many people went past? A Levite, a priest, and a Samaritan. The third person was the answer. Probably saved his life. And think about 1 Corinthians 13. And now about a faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. And let's think briefly yet about the Trinity. So we can think, try, three. If you look for Trinity in the Bible, you won't find any of those. You will find many threes. In fact, Power Bible would advise you to truncate or revise your search because there are so many. Um, but Trinity comes up zero. But the concept is just so strong there. In closing, let's turn to 1 John 5, 7. One takeaway that you could take from this message is that as you're reading the New Testament especially, and occasionally in the Old, very occasionally, um, you have the Trinity mentioned within one sentence or even one verse. And this is one of those places, I'll mention a few more. 1 John 5, verse 7. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And so there you have the concept of the Trinity. And the next verse. And there are three that bear witness on earth. The spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. And I'm not quite as solid on how the function of those three is. The Holy Spirit, maybe baptism, and maybe Jesus' sacrifice. Those three agree as one. And many other verses. Like I'm just going to throw out a couple. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. End of book. Ephesians 2.18, For through him, Jesus, we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. By one Spirit to the Father. Three. And in Hebrews 9.14, And how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal, eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, God, Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And so all over the New Testament, you have the Trinity, the three, the perfect three, the best three. Okay, in closing, just three things <laughs> to note. Um, one, I remember Brother Josiah's testimony from the school days mentioning that algebra was a struggle for him, and yet that he puts that into practice. He said what little he remembers, he uses a lot. And it reminded me of how blessed we are that we have an understanding of language and numbers and facts. And you school children are learning them, and maybe it feels like drudgery, but isn't it just significant that that all becomes a package of education which you use the rest of your life? And I think that of any person's potential for influence in God's kingdom is significantly impacted mostly by their commitment to the Lord. Didn't Jim Elliot say that? Show me a man or three men and I'll change the world. 
total, total commitment is first, but second, it hinges so much on how much you can understand, remember, think. And so we can know. Um, there's nothing so special about this, but we know from our education that 3 equals 3 equals 3 equals try and quite a number of other things. Um, but you can know those, and so you can, you can process that. Secondly, I'd like to um, challenge you that as you read your Bible three times a day, like Daniel, you start noticing and thinking about numbers and their meanings. And right on the heels of that, point number three, uh, types and shadows. Guard against trying to force a particular thing into a particular mold. Someone said it this way, we should try, we should always view our practice and interpretation through the word. And so you put your practice and interpretation here, the word in front, and the word sheds light on what we do and how we think. Well, the same with types and shadows. We need to put the word foremost and see if it fits. Sometimes it will, sometimes it won't, and a good many times we don't really know for sure. Um, rather than... Put, making the type and shadow the first thing and then viewing the whole word through that type and shadow and trying to force all of it down into what it may or may not have meant. But I hope that um, this little Bible study on numbers will just um, excite you a little bit to think about the significance of numbers in the Bible.